Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 29th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and then presenting a spoiler-heavy interview with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier head writer, Malcolm Spellman. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys. So let's get into the news first. Uh, there was some interesting new that, news that came out yesterday, and that is that Adam Wingard, who directed Godzilla vs. Kong, is in early discussions to potentially return to this franchise to direct a sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. So uh, I was under the impression, and I think you know, Legendary was as well, that Godzilla vs. Kong was the culmination of the quote-unquote monsterverse. It was what all of these movies had been leading toward, this big uh, battle between these two uh, title characters. But I guess this movie has performed so well at the box office. I think it's the the most successful Hollywood film since the pandemic began that Legendary is now taking steps to stretch this out into quote unquote one or more installments. Um, they are looking at a potential title of Son of Kong. That's a title that they are throwing around internally at the studio. And Adam Wingard, like I mentioned, is is uh, in early talks to direct this. So um, we don't have any word about a writer yet. Uh, I think they said 
that uh, Wingard, uh, the Hollywood Reporter broke this story and they said that Wingard was quote unquote very involved in crafting the Hollow Earth plotline that we saw in Godzilla versus Kong. So my speculation is maybe this movie will involve that because that seemed like a very, you know, it seemed like the, the type of environment and setting and sort of um, world building type of uh, location where tons of adventures could take place there. So what do you guys think about this? I think you, I think all three of us were like, you know, I don't know if full-blown fans is the right term, but I think we all appreciated uh, Godzilla versus Kong for its sort of uh, over-the-top ridiculousness. And I, I feel like it gave us mostly what we wanted minus the human stuff. So, uh, Chris, what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, sure. I, it sounds interesting. I mean, I guess, uh, I, I guess the, you know, the presence of Son of Kong implies there's like a Lady Kong. And I kind of want that movie where <laughs> I, I want like this, I want the movie to be like it's all in the hollow earth there are no humans and it's just king kong like falling in love with a lady kong <laughs> going out and to it, dinner at an italian restaurant in yeah, hollow earth <laughs> the hollow earth italian restaurant yeah where like the spaghetti like floats in the air like those stones and they, they do like the the lady in the tramp spaghetti thing but they're you know king kongs it's, i want to see it's, it's with a squid tentacle though yes yeah just give, give me that like no humans no dialogue just just Two giant apes falling in love. And then at the very end, they have a son. And like, there's like a giant King Kong doctor. And he's like, what do you want to name your son? And King Kong looks at the camera and then it cuts to black and the title card, Son of Kong, slams on the screen. There's your movie right there, Adam Wingard. Wow. Uh, well, Chris, as much as you were just decrying on yesterday's episode about Mortal Kombat being a type of movie that, you know, is like essentially a prequel film that like sets up and doesn't actually give you the story that it promises. I, I still want to see this version of Son of, Son of Kong that you just pitched. So, um, Brad, what do you think about this? What do you think about Adam Wingard potentially becoming the uh, the Chris McQuarrie of this franchise where, you know, there's been different directors coming in at all you know, for each entry so far, but Wingard would be the first person to return to this. Yeah. I mean, I think he brought the right kind of uh, style and vibe to the monster verse that um, was definitely, I felt like missing in Godzilla. And uh, there was, um, I think Jordan vote Roberts brought a, a decent amount of style to Kong skull Island as well. But, you know, for these kind of movies, it's, it needs to be, you know, more vibrant. It needs to be a little bit more ridiculous because it's not as if the original Kong and Godzilla movies were, you know, anything but kaiju, you know, mostly B movies with just these people in giant monster suits fighting, you know? And so there's a way to make that cool in the, in the blockbuster era. And I think that he did about as good a job as, you know, anyone could, uh, as long as they, you know, just start veering away more from the human characters or giving them, you know, something better to do. And then I'm also hoping that we get that Godzuki movie that we all deserve. (laughs) Oh man, that would be great. Yeah. I'm curious if Godzilla is going to be uh, involved in this at all. Like Son of Kong as a title sort of implies that they're going back to that sort of, uh, you know, two pronged approach that the franchise has taken before where like, you know, one movie is about one character and others about another character and they sort of ba- bounce back and forth until they, the, they uh, met up in Godzilla versus Kong. So I wonder if Godzilla <laughs> and or Godzuki is going to be a factor in this. Um, Brad, do you have any thoughts about like a potential plot here? I mean, uh, you know, putting putting aside the um, Kong courts, Mrs. Kong at a uh, at an Italian restaurant in Hollow Earth idea. Is there anything like 
I guess just the hollow earth setting, is that something that you want to see more of? Or do you think they can go back to the surface and, and uh, let Son of Kong loose on a city or something? What do you think? <laughs> I mean, uh, I could see it being something more akin to like the, you know, the King Kong with Peter Jackson, where it focuses more on that on that world. And uh, maybe there are humans who are like, in danger and like uh i don't know maybe king kong is like incapacitated somehow and the son of kong has to step up to like save humans or something who, who knows you know i mean <laughs> um it, it could, go, could go anywhere but uh i mean it could even just be you know son of kong trying to, to save you know king kong from something you know some terrible giant you know winged creature has yeah uh, you know bitten him and now he's passed out because of terrible <laughs> venom and now it's up to the to tiny kong to save the day or, uh, or or Big Kong has just gotten lazy and just loves to sit on that throne that's down there in Hollow Earth, and he's just like, eh, son of Kong, you you take care of all this nonsense. I'm I'm chilling on this throne. I like yeah. this better. <laughs> um, well, I have no idea when this movie might happen because Adam Wingard already has the face-off sequel lined up at I think that's Paramount, and then he's supposed to make a live-action movie based on uh, Thundercats as well. So. Those seem, you know, further along than this project. So it may be like many years before Son of Kong uh, is burst into existence. But um, uh, we'll... I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But what if the Face-Off sequel is the <laughs> Son of Kong and Son of Godzilla sequel, where Godzilla <laughs> and King Kong swap faces? Oh. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> now on. we're talking. Yeah, now we're talking. This is it. This is the stuff right here. Uh, all right, let's talk about our next item here, which is a Flintstones spinoff is in the works. The Flintstones, Chris, do you know? Do you remember what year the Flintstones premiered on on TV? Eighteen seventy-five, just after the Civil War. <laughs> yes, nineteen sixty is when it premiered. Okay, so there is a spinoff of a show that that originated in nineteen sixty in the year of our Lord twenty twenty-one. Chris, tell us about this Flintstones spinoff. Well. This is called Bedrock, and it's an animated series uh, that's going to be produced by and starring, well, starring the voice of Elizabeth Banks. And the show is set 20-something years after the original show. So it's going to follow a, a adult Pebbles Flintstone, you know, the, the child of the Flintstones, uh, who be, who quote begins her own career while her dad Fred nears retirement with the Stone Age giving way to an enlightened new Bronze Age the residents of Bedrock will find this evolution harder than a swing from Bam Bam's club that's the official synopsis I didn't come up with that so <laughs> I would not end it with something as, as crass as that but that's what they wanted uh, so Chris, the image that is, uh, that is being used as the header image for this article. Uh, I don't know if you recall this, you wrote the article, but did, did this, um, image come from an existing episode of the Flintstones or is this like promotional material specifically for this bedrock show? Do this you know? is the, the official promotional art for the show. Okay. I was, I was thinking that might be the case because if you look in the background of this image, it, it basically the foreground looks like a uh, classic bedrock, you know, Flintstones era uh, na- residential neighborhood. And in the background, there are, you know, skyscrapers and dinosaurs helping out uh, to, to construct uh, serving as cranes to construct a giant cityscape in the background. So um, I, Chris, l- before we get into the, the details of that, what do you uh, think about the, the idea of a, uh, a Flintstones show set 20 years after the original? I mean, the only thing I find interesting about this is the whole Stone Age giving way to the Bronze Age thing. I actually think that's somewhat of a clever idea, but also it's like, ah, 
I don't I don't think anyone is like, yeah, we need another Flintstones thing. We need a Flintstones sequel slash reboot. Um, it's worth noting that uh, Fox, who, this is the show is ending up on Fox, uh, is really all in on Flintstone stuff because a few years ago, about 10 years ago, they actually gave a, a straight to series order for a Flintstones reboot from uh, Seth MacFarlane, a family guy fame and um you know that was in the planning stages but then fox read the scripts and they were like never mind and they pulled the plug on that (laughs) so i don't know what that you know i don't know if like the scripts were just bad or they were too edgy i don't i don't know what the reason (laughs) they pulled the plug on it was but so after giving up on that they've decided to try this idea instead uh well yeah i mean uh, like you said the that idea of the uh the transitioning ages you know stone age into bronze age and the idea of cities being built and all of that um that seems like they could shake up the formula a little bit instead of just porting the exact same style of humor over from the 1960s which probably wouldn't work very well at all um but uh it may be some sort of in between between you know what uh what the original show was and what Seth MacFarlane might have wanted to do. And uh, I think we can assume that maybe it was a little bit edgy. Uh, That seems to be like his thing. And um, I I guess it's not exactly what Fox was looking for, but Brad, as the, as the resident comedy fan here on, on slash film, what do you think about this? What what is your uh, relationship with the Flintstones and what do you think about Elizabeth Banks being involved in this? Yeah. I mean, I like the Flintstones growing up. I like the Jetsons. Um, It's, I think that there's potential there to like to update the Flintstones and take modern things and give them like a stone age makeover, you know, like there's so many things that have changed since the Flintstones was around that, you know, one of the things that the show was famous for was taking modern, you know, innovations and lifestyle and giving them this, you know, stone age kind of style to them, you know, having different, you know, animals act as like appliances and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And I think that there's probably a way to do that with, you know, other modern inventions that have happened since the Flintstones has been off the air. Um, well, I think there's potential. I have to admit that I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Elizabeth Banks as a creator. I think she's very funny as an actress, and I I like that she's being given these opportunities, especially when it comes to blockbuster filmmaking. But she's proven to not be that great of a director, um, and she hasn't really done anything in animation before. So I just I just don't know what to expect from this, and I'm, and that that kind of leaves me. I don't know, wishing somebody else was in charge of it. Um, it. It makes me wish that we got to see Seth MacFarlane's version because, um, you know, even though his shtick, you know, has, has grown a little more tired, I, I still enjoy Seth MacFarlane for the most part. Um, a lot of people think he's smarmy and seems like a dick, and but that's fine to me, you know? Like, I, I appreciate um, his, his humor uh, for the most part. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, I, I will probably give this a shot just to see when it comes out, how it turns out. But, you know, I, I, I just don't know. Am I the only one here who thinks Elizabeth Banks might actually make a better live action, older Pebbles Flintstone than the voice of an animated one? Hmm. I don't know. I guess, but I don't, do we really want another live action Flintstones (laughs) thing? I mean, I just, that property just doesn't work in live action. And there are two movies that prove it. Yeah. I mean, the production design is so interesting though, for those movies, it's almost, and like, yes, they're disasters. I think, uh, certainly the second one more than, than the first one. But, um, you know, like who, who is calling for an animated version of the Flintstones? If we're going to do this, maybe like go all out disaster with it. I don't know. Like embrace the chaos. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
nobody's listening to me. Nobody cares. Nobody in Hollywood is uh, is interested in these ideas. So this, I'm, is, this is how we should end every podcast. <laughs> no, nobody listening right. to me. Nobody cares. <laughs> and we'll see you tomorrow. Um, all right. So let's move into our interview here, our, our feature presentation. Brad, you had a chance to speak with Malcolm Spellman, who's the head writer of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, why don't you uh, tee up this spoiler-heavy interview for us? Yeah, so uh, we had an opportunity to talk to him about the finale now that the uh, first season um, is over. Maybe the series, if they're, if they're not doing another season. Marvel has yet to confirm whether there will be a second season under the title Captain America and the Winter Soldier, or if the story will merely continue in uh, the reported um, Captain America 4 that's in development with Malcolm Spellman also co-writing. Um, but obviously he's not uh, cleared to talk about any of that yet because, you know, it hasn't been officially announced by Marvel and there's nothing he can say about it. And uh, a lot of people have been trying uh, admirably as they um, they might to get information about it, but he's being pretty tight-lipped. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to just dig in more into the finale itself and uh, the characters and where they end up um, in this final episode. Uh, so we dig into um, the big final speech that Sam Wilson gives as Captain America at the end, whether Carly Morgenthau and John Walker, you know, if they're uh, redeemed and kind of um, where Walker stands at the end of this this episode, since uh, it's clearly leading into a, a bigger role for him uh, and a potentially a, a different one than just being a, a crazed maniac. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and a little bit about um, what it's like to kind of plan a show like this in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and think about the repercussions uh, for other properties out there, especially since this finale takes place um, in New York City, which, you know, is uh, the famous residence of uh, a certain web-slinging superhero. Um, and so we just talk about, uh, you know, just the the, um, the considerations for that kind of thing. So uh, it's, yeah, it's a, a fun interview. I had a good time talking to him, just getting a chance to um have just a little, a little bit more thoughtful conversation than, you know, trying to get him to, you know, reveal whether Mephisto is going to be in the <laughs> second season of the show or something. Like that. Gotcha. All right. Well, here is the interview. So uh, when Falcon and the Sol Winter Soldier premiered, there was a lot of discussion uh, about the Bakelon scene because of how it uh, tackled racism and the struggles that Sam Wilson faced as a black man, despite being an Avenger. And I feel like that comes full circle with Sam, making his voice heard in this finale, not just as a superhero, uh, but as a black man with an opportunity to make change. So can you talk about the process of crafting that conversation Sam has with the, the senators in charge of the GRC? Was it difficult writing it without making it sound like a lecture? Yeah, it was. It's funny. Like, it. first of all, we hope we earned it with everything Sam went through, especially con being confronted by Isaiah, who has some very real shit to say. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, and when we got to that moment, you know, I worked really hand in hand with Anthony on it. And one of the breakthroughs of that moment was, you know, and I believe this was Anthony who came up with it, was to have Sam focus on the one senator primarily. So that way he's not talking to the cameras and he's not talking the speech. He is trying to convince one man or who represents a group that has global power not to do something that's happening in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I felt like that really helped it go down more smoothly and feel real honest, you know? Was this something that was uh, written um, before the uh, the protests that happened over the summer last year? Because it, uh, it feels like it was rather prescient in that regard. And um, you, you have that line in there where you mentioned Thug as a label that is kind of used to villainize, vilify these people. 
Yeah, I mean, this this series was be was I am very proud of the writers' room. Um, was extremely prescient, and we was on it. Like people were asking, "Could you have ever imagined this?" And I'm not going to name the political events, but the political events that occurred while the series was being made. And could you have ever imagined that? It's like, yeah, we have a writers' room with a with a bunch of black folk in it. Yes, this is literally the stuff we imagine because we see the world through a very different lens. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I, I take a lot of pride in the writers for being on point. Um, and yeah, we definitely were dialed in. We had our finger on the pulse. For sure. Um, on that same subject, I want to talk about uh, Carly Morgenthau and how her story ends because she's obviously pushed to dangerous levels, you know, for her revolution. Uh, and she really believes in what she's fighting for because it's a just cause. But I wanted to get your perspective on her death because as she's dying... She apologizes for what's happened, which feels like the exact opposite of what she was feeling just seconds before she gets shot because she's about to shoot Captain America. So does that sully what appears to be like redemption for her, if you want to call it that? I don't think she was ever all bad. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, 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 I, and, and I, that felt honest to me because when Sam was talking to her about not doing what she's doing, it's clear she's listening to him. She's considering it. You know what I'm saying? She's not one of these antagonists that is like, Zemo, can you imagine trying to tell Zemo not to do what he's doing? (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) Um, So that felt completely honest to me for Carly. Right on. Um, Another complex character in the same vein, uh, John Walker has quite a roller coaster in in this episode alone even. Um, And I wanted to ask about what's, driving him as a character because it's clear that you wanted him to feel like a guy who genuinely wants to do good but yep. much much like carly the way he goes about it is morally questionable so i guess how delicate is his psyche uh especially with regards to this character's future because i feel like that one moment in this finale where he gets inspiration from that medal of honor that's with on, on the back of his shield could take him in either direction whether it's you know a, a positive or negative effect uh, to me he is grappling with so many different issues and ideas and themes, right? Some of them very, very righteous. Some of them born from maybe uh, uh, privilege and the assumption that American excellence should be unquestioned, right? But some of it very righteous at the same time. I would argue that Wyatt walked such a tightrope in making the audience stay with him, making the audience hate him when he wanted them to hate him, right? And playing with where he's going to go. To me, the signature moment for John Walker, because everyone's like, well, did you redeem him? I'm like, I don't know, man. He went and fucking lied to Lamar's family. Yeah. Uh, His best friend was murdered, and he was so guilt-ridden and jacked up about that, he just lied to them, and I think he believed his own lie and to me, that says more about the character than anything else. Like, I think he kind of believed, he knew he was lying, but it looked like he was believing it also, if that makes sense. For sure. Um, I'm sure it's not a coincidence that both John Walker and Sharon Carter end up getting away free after their, their crimes and the bad things that they've done. But Carly and Lamar sacrifice their lives for what they stand for. Um, since you didn't hesitate to tackle racism head on in this season of the show, could this privilege bestowed upon those characters be something that's an important thematic element sometime in the future for these characters? Much more for Walker than Sharon. You know what I'm saying? Because I think Sharon 
if you unpack Sharon's backstory from Civil War to now, I, I Sharon, like you know, the fans are upset because I think the fans maybe should consider what that woman was going through once she had been banished by her own country. And, you know, we imagine that every time she probably tried to come in out the cold, right, uh, with all this other stuff going on at MCU, they were, you know, they were setting her up, trying to lock her up. You know, we like we feel like she was forced into her situation. So I think her journey is a little bit more natural, the natural thorns that grow from life when people you trust betray you. Walker's is obviously much more directed and, you know, again, I don't want to name certain political moments in which people got off with a hand tap. But, yeah, yeah you know. Um, one last thing. Uh, I, when you're planning a finale like this that takes place in New York City, are there any larger universe considerations that have to be discussed with Kevin Feige? T- yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's, guys... that's Spider-Man City. So, you know, where's yeah. like, Spider-Man? It, it, you have to talk about all that. And then... You are, once you've discussed it, you're free to roll. Right That's on. all I can say. You know, you, oh, it's, it's exactly what the fans imagine. It's a <laughs> bunch of Marvel nerds in a room talking about how to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're playing D&D, whatever, it's the same vibe, except for you're creating something that costs a bajillion dollars and is seen <laughs> by a bajillion more people. <laughs> of course. Right on. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Malcolm. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take it easy. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into great features you can find on the site. I would encourage everybody to go to SlashFilm.com. Hey, go there. We, we write great stuff there all the time, so go and check it out. You can listen, you can uh, subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.